All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition, another high caliber uh, episode here at the Crypto 101 podcast. Wherever you guys are in the world, guys, whatever time it is, you're in the right place because we are joined today not only by my trusty compadre, my notorious co-host, Mr. Pizza Mind Malone, who's with me every day. Uh, today, we're joined by a very special guest, Michael O'Rourke, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pocket Network, Inc., the uh, company that's building the protocol Pocket Network. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Yeah, thanks for, for having me, Bryce, and uh, glad to be here again. Uh, Absolutely, I think this is not the first time we've chatted. So, yeah, no, in Pocket Network, it's a it's a pretty developer centric ecosystem. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things that mostly you know developers are using and, and building you know more decentralized, more robust applications. Um, so we're going to dive into that first. Let me check in on Mr. Pizza Mind over here. How are we doing? Are you hanging in there? I'm doing well, actually. Again, not sleeping so great, but I'm being kept up by thoughts of Web three and the excitement of what's being built there and the possibilities that Web3 brings to the world. You know, we've talked to so many different Web3 developers on the podcast, and everyone's talking about increasing privacy, increasing decentralization, putting power back in the hands of the average person. But what the culmination of all these efforts can enable is actually something so much greater than just those things, even something greater than Bitcoin. If Bitcoin itself is kind of like digital stateless cash, what Web3 is, or what it could be if done right, is reversing the cash flow of the world from all these giant Web2 and tech companies back in the hands of everybody. And then it circulates around again. And that itself is an incredibly powerful idea. And in order for that to happen, the proper infrastructure needs to be in place. So I'm really excited to see what Pocket Network and Michael and his team have built. Let's jump right into it and talk a little bit more about what is Pocket Network at a high level. Yeah, uh, and that was a great, I'm pumped, man. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> Beats of Mind's got a special way of doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's all so, delirium so, from lack of sleep. It's great. Hey, man, I hear you on the sleep. I, I definitely, definitely hear you on the lack of sleep. Yeah, so Pocket Network is its own blockchain. And we like to describe it as a middleware protocol. And uh, this really, when I say middleware, I mean it sits in between your Web3 application. So whether that's Uniswap, MetaMask, you know, you name it, uh, and the blockchain that that's trying to communicate with. And at the highest of highest levels, um, really what Pocket does is load the data on your applications. So when you open up your wallet and you see, you know, the wheel scrolling and then you see your ETH balance or whatever it is, that comes from services like Pocket. Um, the difference being that we've built a protocol with uh, thousands of individuals running these nodes or these servers to provide that data to the end user. So, you know, we have lots of people using us with MetaMask where they put in a little RPC endpoint and, and that in effect loads your information on whatever Web3 application that you're operating or, or, or trying to use. And that's super important because... So often we see a competitor, uh, it's called Infura, and Infura is run by consensus, and they're kind of like the default RPC node for so many of these things. And if Infura goes down, suddenly none of these apps work, people can't access their money, they can't read the blockchain, but all that stuff is still up. They just need to reconnect 
to a different node. It's kind of like the DNS in Web 2. You know, the websites you're trying to load aren't loading. Well, the websites are loading fine for other people across the world. They just need to have a different kind of resolver. And that's where you guys come in. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we we sit underneath the DNS. That's the thing, right? This is part of Pocket, and I think there's lots of other protocols that are solving really important problems. But um, uh, uh, there's we've got these fantastic, truly decentralized layer ones, right? Like Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? And part of the challenge is that there's going to be multiple bottlenecks across the different parts of the stack, right? Like we think the most common one today is uh, fiat on ramps and off ramps, as an example. That's a very important bottleneck that that I think people are trying to solve, for example. But then on top of that, you've got things like accessing data, storage, DNS, privacy. Um, all these are really important pieces that sit on top of the blockchains that we're trying to use that are critically important <laughs> for us to make you know, censorship resistant, reliable, uh, and capture, capture resistant as well. You know, that's a very hot term that's going around right now, in particular, censorship resistance. And I'd love for you to kind of at a high level, define that for our listeners and also how Pocket Network as a protocol uh, kind of views censorship resistance. Yeah, I think the and, and this is something that we've seen across, um, I think, the Internet over the last five, six, seven years. Um, even if you were on the original Bitcoin subreddit, as an example, right? Uh, I think the moderator was was Thamos, and there was a lot of people who were complaining uh, about, you know, various levels of censorship if you didn't agree with certain points of view, right? And I think then you uh, were like deleted from the forum or blocked yeah, from posting or something. Yeah, the subreddit. Yeah, so people ended up creating their own subreddits. Uh, people ended up going to Twitter. I think a lot of the conversation has ended up moving to Twitter, but that is a form of censorship resistance, right? And I think we have different uh, ways that manifests in society today, whether that's through laws or speech or whatever it might be, right? And I think we we happen to live in a world today where because of these companies that really play a very huge part, very large part in our lives, their incentives aren't always aligned with ours as individuals. And uh, we also have a really complicated, hard world where, where people live in various different types of cultures and locales and this sort of thing. And for us and for me to be able to build something that allows people to express themselves freely is critically important. And, and when we say censorship resistance, I like to correlate that to uh, something like credible neutrality. You know, Google's old saying was, uh, don't be evil. Um, it's more, I can't be evil, right? Uh, and I think that's really important with, with what we're building. And what is like the relationship in your opinion um, what's the relationship between decentralization and censorship resistance? Is censorship resistance actually just the ends and the means is decentralization? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's a spectrum. Uh, I think the nice thing about blockchains is that what it really does is give us optionality. Um, I think we need to have space for, uh, you know, the Elons of the world, for example, right, to be able to build incredible things. But I do think that uh, many of the core services and products that we use today are in effect have or have in effect become public goods in many ways, just shelled by a company instead of a protocol, right? And it's really important. There's a certain critical mass, and I don't know that there's uh, anyone that's defined this or has uh, real research behind, you know, what that critical mass of individual participants uh, using a protocol so that you can't shut it down, but 
uh, it's really important that most of us, many of us are building this for to, to help avoid state level capture, right? So whatever the resources are uh, and and the individuals and the how spread out those individuals are to kind of be able to be capture resistant or censor resistant, uh, censorship resistant is, is really what we're building for, right? So there's different levels of that, right? Like you can have 150 Solana validators across 30 countries uh, that may or may not be uh, sufficient, right? You know, the idea is that that keeps growing as an example, right? Or you can have, you know, tens of thousands of Bitcoin miners uh, with 30% in China, 20% in Sweden, you know, wherever those are, right? And, and those are different levels of uh, kind of censorship resistance, right? And what's really interesting too is that these things are almost living things, right? Because, you know, regulations change in one country, so we start to see, you know, people move to the other, right? Or to some other more friendly regulation, right? So I think that also freedom of movement, uh, this kind of pseudonymity of these protocols also lends to that censorship resistance. Um, so, you know, not to give you a non-answer, but but it's it's really, you know, how much money, how much effort does it take? How much coordination does it take for, you know, multiple countries to say, hey, let's let's shut this down for me uh, uh, is is really what defines, you know, how censorship resistant uh, a protocol can be or is. And I guess the sister term to censorship resistant is also sufficiently decentralized. And that's a term that the SEC has used in trying to give us some kind of clarity or a little bit of light on this giant gray area with these tokens. In your opinion, what elements need to be in place for a project to be sufficiently decentralized? Only an opinion, a point of view. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, there's a uh, great blog post by Placeholder Capital, and I think that really defines, uh, I, I think I haven't read anything better than, than what defines kind of a sufficiently decentralized uh, protocol. And it's, it's four vectors. It's, it's supply, it's, it's demand, it's governance, and it's capital markets, right? So protocols of various different, uh, have all four of these in some capacity, right? So to use Pocket as an example, we've got the demand side, which are nodes. We have, I'm sorry, supply side, which are nodes. We have the demand side, which are applications. We have our governance system, which is our DAO. Right. And we have capital markets, right? That's where we were listed, how many wallets, whether there's lending, you know, all these sorts of things, right? How many individual participants on the capital market side, right? And, and for me, getting to a reasonable degree on all four of those vectors, for me personally, means you have a pretty sufficiently decentralized protocol. Um, the challenge with, you know, the SEC and this sort of thing is that that takes time. That doesn't happen <laughs> overnight, right? And, and that's really what we're working towards. And I know that what many other founders of protocols are working towards as well. And does this like decentralization component, you know, make it so that, you know, pocket network, you know, could run with zero downtime? And, and maybe I should say, does pocket network run with zero downtime? Or have you guys even had instances of, of uh, you know, downtime, I should say? Yeah, yeah, for us. So that downtime is more on the supply side of network, right? So if you're using kind of one of our centralized uh, providers, you know, they're very likely running on one infrastructure provider in one to three to maybe five regions around the world, right? So maybe I'm on US East and US West. Now, if US East goes down, well, then all that traffic ends up getting routed to US West or, or elsewhere, right? As an example, right? Or maybe it just doesn't get routed there at all, right? In our case, what makes Pocket effectively impossible to, to take down, at least on the supply side level, um, is the fact that we have dozens, if not hundreds of different setups of people running this infrastructure, not just on the cloud, but they have their own hardware in their homes, they have data centers that they've rented out, 
They've negotiated deals with, you know, bare metal providers like OVH and this sort of thing. So we have an extreme diversity of where these nodes are hosted, right? And that by itself is what makes Pocket uh, quite difficult to take down or to stop using. And, you know, but there's different layers within our protocol, right? So for example, we've had chain halts before, right? In the first year that we were operating, we've just passed two years live on mainnet. Now we had a couple of chain halts, right? Uh, and from the first one we learned, we were like, oh crap, okay, we can, you know, we, we can't have the service stop, right? So, so in our case, when the chain halts, we have all of our node runners say, hey, let's just contribute our, our nodes through something what we call an altruist network or an altruist service, right? So even when our chain halts, we still are able to provide reliable service to, to applications, right? So for us, that's what really matters is can the full nodes that are providing this data, can they continue operating and continue providing this data regardless of what exogenous factors might occur? And given that tech is always changing, always upgrading, and it's built by just people, you know, not aliens or gods or anything, is it an unfair expectation for something to truly run 24-7 and surpass the 99.95% uptime that is expected in Web 2? You know, I don't think it's an unfair expectation after a certain period of time, right? You know, these things are, you know, complex systems evolve, right? Uh, You build something with a very specific intent. And over time, as people use it, you learn how to best uh, improve it, operate it, so on and so forth, right? So I think we've seen a incredible uh, resilience with proof of work, right? With Bitcoin and Ethereum and really, truly, you know, people are independently mining with their GPUs or ASICs uh, to keep this network up or these networks up, right? Uh, I think we're starting to get there with proof of stake. I think depending on the types of uh, protocols, right, and how much they're pushing limits, it'll take longer than others. I think we see it. It's the same pattern you see in in smart contracts um, in, in the different hacks that, that we've seen over the years, right? The types of hacks has gotten more sophisticated as the tools that are available to us are also more sophisticated. But if you use just Maker or just Compound, uh, you're probably pretty safe at this point, given given how long it's been been around, right? Uh, so in my view, it's it's very similar with networks like Pocket, right? It's far from perfect uh, for any of these things when you first launch it. But um, there's also this idea of the Lindy effect, right? The longer that you're, yep. you're alive, the, the more likely you are to, to succeed, right? So. No, I love it. Um, now, you guys work with a whole host of different blockchains or platforms, if you will. I see, you know, Solana, Ethereum. What's, you know, could you name off all the different platforms uh, that you guys interoperate with, and I see you smiling. Maybe it's just like way too many, but what, maybe the top five or so. Um, and, and kind of what's the best experience that you've had, whether that's from a development standpoint, from like, oh my god, like this network is like super active, and like this network's a ghost chain. Of course, not throwing shade at anybody. Just your personal opinions. Yeah, it's 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 almost fifty chains we support, so it's it's difficult for me to name them all <laughs> off on the top of my head. But that's a lot. Um, that's a lot of endpoints to connect. Yeah, you can kind of think of us like a, like a Uniswap for node infrastructure, right? And and it's much easier for us to spin up this infrastructure than it is for um, a centralized company. But um, the top five are definitely Ethereum, Polygon, uh, I believe Phantom and BSC are up there in terms of just raw traffic, right? Um, when you ask about um, experience, Harmony is up there as well. Uh, and uh, we had a really cool experience last year working with Harmony because we started supporting them before 
Uh, you might have heard of DeFi Kingdoms before they uh, really exploded. Yep, Crystal Vale. Yeah, yeah, they were originally built on Harmony and before they moved over to their uh, subnet chain. But we had a cool experience because they blew up and uh, we were there prepared with Pocket. And given the, the nature of how Pocket is designed, uh, we were able to handle a massive increase of traffic from this game on the Harmony chain. And we were working in really close collaboration with, with the Harmony core team. And uh, for me, that was just a, a really cool experience. And, and we've always loved working with them. But uh, to really kind of show Pocket's use case in real time in kind of an unexpected manner was for me just really, really cool. And and that kind of led, you know, that that was, you know, part of an initial strategy to really start to add as many chains as we possibly could because we felt that there was um, a lot of things happening outside of just Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. And, and that was kind of a, a bet that we had made that that kind of worked out for us, uh, particularly in the Congratulations on being one of the very few things in this space that was able to scale quickly, quietly, and without incident. <laughs> well, it took several times of failing uh, for that to be able to happen. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, we're, we're doing about a billion requests a day today, but um, within the first five months or so, we had a project on board and we went from, from 2 million to 12 million requests within the, with about 24 hours. And that wow. caused a chain halt. It, it broke, it broke the network, just 2 million to, to 12 million a day. Um, whereas today, you know, we went from 900 million to 1.4 billion without breaking a sweat, right? So it took several <laughs> issues to figure out before we could get to, to the scale for us. As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. Get that dialed in, all right? So LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. And each time we need to grow our team here at Crypto 101, we've actually turned to LinkedIn to find our next employees. This includes how we found several new members of our team who were hired this year. You can go create a free job post in literally just minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and well beyond it to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then you can add your job and you could add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile in order to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it totally easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and eventually hire. I mean, this is all why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. And did you know every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So in the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management as well as scams and hackers. So forget the popular saying, not your keys, not your crypto. Because software and hardware wallets both have the same vulnerability. It's a single private key that can be lost, hacked, or simply misplaced. But our new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total and complete game changer 
bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You guys have to go check out Zengo. It's an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability. So it leverages advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-million dollar institutions. Your Zengo account is secured by three factors, which makes recovery simple and stress-free. After all, with no private key to steal, your crypto assets and your NFTs are much more difficult to hack. So there's actually a reason why Zengo is able to claim itself as Web3's most secure wallet. Zengo has it all. They've got multi-chain support to buy, trade, and connect to Web3 dApps. And you can also store your crypto, well, with Zen. So Zengo has a legendary, and I'm talking, you know, totally, totally legendary customer service. Okay, this is in-app. It's 24-7 live support. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it's with real humans. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet, and it's the best place to keep your crypto, your NFTs, and your assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery kit. So you can get started at zengo.com slash crypto101 and use that code crypto101 to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's zengo.com slash crypto 101, code crypto 101 for $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's zengo.com slash crypto 101, code crypto 101 for $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. Please see the site for details. How is the Harmony team doing these days? I know they had their own little hiccup recently. Are they still going strong? I'm sorry, who, who was that? Harmony. Yeah, they're still going strong. Um, we're, we're in pretty close contact with the team. Great. Uh, and they really, as a founding team, they really, they really care about uh, uh, what they're building, actually. Quite inspiring people, actually. Love it. Yeah, now I, I was just going to say, I watched a documentary recently, and it was like on Elon Musk. And apparently, I mean, the documentary was saying, and this is history, like he launched like three rockets. They all blew up like his first three rockets. And then finally the fourth one, he was like, all right, I got, should I really do this? And everyone's like, you got to keep pushing. You got to keep pushing. And then finally it worked. And so building successful blockchain networks is, you know, kind of similar in a sense to building rocket science. You know, you, it's like live ammunition. Uh, there, there's, you know, there's no mess ups because you have real things at stake and you have, 
you know, real, you know, real market participants that are, you know, you know, actively involved. And, um, you know, if at the end of the day, like, you know, pocket network just stops working, well, you know, there's, there's lives that are affected, whether it's people that are, you know, uh, building applications with it, or they, they need to rely on it. It's just like if, you know, AWS went down, you know, well, then a huge portion of the internet stops working. So, you know, if pocket network, you know, gains a huge you know market share, and then it goes down, it's like, well, then a lot of people can't utilize their decentralized applications. And so it's really impressive what you guys are doing. And um, what, what, what do you think is, you know, out of all the things that you're doing, what, what kind of excites you the most? Like if you were to like narrow it down into just one aspect, is it, is there one thing that like, you know, drives you? Uh, is there one thing that drives me? Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, the thing about blockchains and what really gets me excited about them is the fact that uh, regardless of who you are, where you're from, uh, we're able to coordinate thousands of people around the world without knowing anything about them um, or almost anything about them, right? And the fact that we've got this technology that allows us to do this in different ways is kind of mind-blowing because really we've only had a handful of inventions by humanity that have allowed us to coordinate humans at a scale like this. And this is like religion, governments, and, and the invention of the corporation. Like there's not many of these things, right? And I, I view blockchains on, on that level of, of impact and, and coordination of humans. Um, so for me, in a world where we don't have trust or faith in our institutions in various parts of the world, belief in religion is going down, people are moving, people are nomads, so many different things are happening uh, that we're losing faith in to be able to have a source of truth, <laughs> a literal, a literal source of truth in a world where, where we don't, you know, people are, there's psyops on both sides, on every side of things are happening all over the place, right? Uh, to be able to find something that rises transcends. above that, that transcends that and build almost a new system uh, and seeing people participate in governance and actually care about the protocol is for me, like, by far the most exciting thing about about what we're building uh, and feel pretty uh, lucky that we get to do this uh, given the timing of you know my age because you know I'm 33 and you know I thought I missed out on web 1 and web 2 and you know I missed out on the you know mobile you know you know world changing stuff and you know get to have the chance to really build something like this for me is is just beyond exciting so I love that you know the immutable truth that blockchain brings is really a game changer. And it's still hard to know whether that the information saved on blockchain is true or not, but at least it's a, a reference point. It's a finality. It's at this point in this time, this was entered and it can never be edited. And that's so important when we're seeing things on Wikipedia today being edited in the middle of a campaign or having a definition of immunity literally being changed and then having the page locked bro so they changed the definition they changed the definition of definition i i like i kid you <laughs> yeah. not like this is not a meme this is not a like false alarm they changed the definition of definition <laughs> yeah uh and blockchain solves that issue so it's super critical to have some kind of reference point to you know just be able to build anything including society so couldn't agree more so how can the average consumer who's listening to this podcast right now participate on Pocket Network? What are the benefits of doing so? Yeah, there's there's a couple of ways. On the demand side, um, uh, if you're ever using MetaMask or any other uh, wallet provider that allows you to put in a custom address, 
uh, you can go ahead and make an account and uh, use Pocket uh, through our portal, right, as an example. And, and you would be sending requests to a network of decentralized nodes around the world, right, which is just by itself kind of cool. But also you have guarantees of, of reliability and, and speed, which is, which is something that we pride ourselves on. If you're more on the, you know, you want to really participate in the network, um, you can also run pocket notes, right, uh, yourself. And, um, you know, I, it's been interesting because I think we've, we've started to educate almost a generation of DevOps engineers because they've just been tinkering around with pocket nodes and running full nodes and these things and the incentives, because obviously if you're, if you're good at running a node, you are able to serve traffic and, and earn pocked, right, as a, as a provider of the network, uh, which is also pretty cool, right? Um, the other piece is, is governance, actually, as well. Pocket is unique in the fact that it's an opt-in democracy. Uh, it doesn't have um, token or coin-weighted voting. Um, so it's actually one person, one vote within Pocket. And uh, we've had about 40, 45 people claim their votes uh, by participating in the network in various ways. Uh, which is which is pretty cool as well. So, I love that. I actually haven't heard of uh, any other network kind of doing that. It's basically like, hey, like you know, if you want to influence this governance vote, go go buy tokens off the open market. Go find somebody you know and, and have him lend you the coins or whatever. And you know, it kind of you know a lot of that stuff gets gamed, I guess, by in a sense, an oligopoly, like whoever controls the most resources on the network gets to control how the uh, the network develops. But having something like Pocket where it's like, hey, you know, one address, one vote. I mean, maybe, you know, my next kind of like logical train of thought where is like, it, how do you protect against civil resistance there? Yeah, one person, one vote, not one address, one vote. So so uh-huh. you actually have to do a, a, a series of quests through the Pocket Arcade. And these are very civil resistant quests, right? This is not like send 100 tweets this is like submit a pull request that gets accepted to a repository or run a node for x amount of time and serve x amount of relays for x amount of chains um Mm. write documentation uh, as one portion of it and the other portion is actual personal uh, verification we actually have a, a channel in our discord where people literally take a picture of themselves, say who they are or not who they are, but what they want, you know, their username and and why they're interested in pocket, right? So there's a couple layers there of, of civil resistance uh, to avoid people gaming the system. That's extremely unique and super awesome. I, I love that. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that model kind of gets, um, you know, adopted by more, more of these protocols. And it especially adds a, you know, another layer of verification uh, and I think it's a pretty interesting approach. Yeah. And if, uh, your face had to be seen in order for your voice to be heard on the internet, we'd probably have a much different internet culture, wouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. We had, uh, we've had some really contentious forum proposals over these last couple of months and we, uh, did an experiment and did, uh, a proper debate. So we, we hired someone who has a, a professional debate background and he organized, you know, the for and against in this debate. And it was, quite mind-blowing how respectful everyone was when you're actually speaking to each other rather than sending um, uh, messages on a forum or, or in Telegram, uh, which I thought was was a great outcome. So, Yeah, as opposed to just, you know, anonymous trolls just slinging crap from the other side and never taking any responsibility for their words. You know, did, I'm curious, uh, you know, on that debate, uh, one of the big things that just happened recently um, was the tornado cash OFAC sanctions? One of the developers were arrested, and this just you know stirred up a bunch of you know 
controversy, basically like, hey, you know, uh, should people not include tornado cash transactions? Should they, if they don't, are they censoring? If they censor code, are they censoring speech? Now do we have a Supreme Court discussion on our hand? Like all this stuff. And it's like, you know, and I know Pocket Network came out of the gate with, with a pretty, you know, strong stance on that. Would you would you care to clarify any of that or uh, speak to that whole scenario? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're building to, to to honestly fight against that. To be honest, I am an American. I am uh, we we the, the U.S. Are, or the, our company is based out of the U.S. Uh, and unfortunately, that means we we have to comply with with the rules. That doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean we can't fight against it. Uh, and unfortunately, Pocket. Uh, the protocol, um, particularly on the demand side, isn't quite where it needs to be when it comes to being fully decentralized, which is why we're so excited about Pocket V1. But, uh, you know, if you look at the history of encryption on the internet and privacy, uh, that was considered, you know, like a, a World War level <laughs> uh, munitions or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the crypto uh, wars of 1999. It was like literally illegal yeah. to export uh, software that had a certain level of encryption that now is like every yes. web browser you open has HTTPS and you're just like, exactly, well, exactly. So I view it as my and our responsibility to um, fight against that, right? Um, totally. uh, it took it took five, 10, 15 years for that to get figured out. But eventually uh, the government was able to figure it out. And, you know, I'm more someone who who would prefer to fight from the inside rather than just exit. And totally. uh, I think you need people on both sides, by the way. I think I think you need everything. So so I view it as our responsibility to really help people see why this is important. Because in the end, what the OFAC thing is, is a privacy violation, right? And I believe that eventually we'll figure it out. I'm generally a pretty optimistic person, but uh, we also are building the tools to allow people to, uh, outside the country, for example, who are you know running their own nodes or whatever it might be, to not have to listen, right? Or applications, for example, with, with Tornado Cash. So, you know, we, like Tornado Cash, are... Also building just a tool. It's a neutral tool. You know, you can use a you can use a hammer to build the house or hit someone upside the head, right? And and that's what I think these well, really what we're building and uh, is. Yeah, and it's the government's job to stop criminals, uh, not tool builders. So yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, but exactly. you mentioned something in that that we want to expand on. What is Pocket V1, and what are some of the features that we should expect in there? Yeah, Pocket V1 is extremely exciting. Uh, uh, one of the issues with OFAC for us today was due to scalability constraints. Uh, apps can't just freely stake, basically, uh, to pay for the service. Uh, it's got to go through kind of like a controlled manner, right? Uh, that means we have a fully decentralized set of nodes, but unfortunately, that's just building new technology. It's just the way it is. Uh, what's really exciting about V1 is that, one, we've fixed all these problems, um, so it'll be uh, uh, infinitely scalable, so anyone can just stake their app directly connect on the network and, and, and be on their merry way. Uh, one thing that I'm extremely excited about is um, on-chain quality of service. So right now, today, all of that is done off-chain. Um, uh, today, Node's incentive are is to serve as many relays as possible. Tomorrow in V1, uh, the incentive will be to serve as many as best, as high quality, as quickly, as reliably ah. as possible. Um, and that's on-chain. That'll be on-chain data, right? It's almost um, so like an on-chain credit score, but for these providers, if you will. An on-chain, an on-chain SLA, actually. Ah. Uh, an on-chain SLA, actually. Which is like a service level agreement. Is that what that stands for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By using Pocket, you'll be, you know, assured, guaranteed some level of uptime, reliability, consistency, so on and so forth. The foundations of the protocol aren't really changing. It's becoming more efficient. Uh, we have what we call kind of a monolithic client that, uh, as you run many of them, gets more expensive to scale. 
uh, we're, we're kind of breaking that apart, right? Uh, which makes it much more efficient to operate a node. And one thing I'm also really excited about is, is this idea of geozones. Today, if I'm, if I'm a user using um, a centralized service provider in Frankfurt, Germany, I'm likely going to hit, you know, the Ireland gateway or the Singapore gateway or something like that, right? With geozones, um, nodes actually in the metadata of their staking are giving their region and where they actually physically are located. So the protocol will actually connect you within a certain boundary uh, with the nodes that are actually closest to you. So what's really cool about that is that in remote regions around the world, whether it's in Africa or South America or, or Europe or wherever, uh, I'm guaranteed a certain level of, of reliability and speed for my data, uh, which is very excited, uh, exciting for us as well. It's almost like um, like CDNs, like content delivery networks, where they kind of host, you know, the most used kind of movies for Netflix, right? And okay, we realize everybody wants this kind of show in this Los Angeles area, so we're gonna have that data like much more readily available, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Pocket is closer to Cloudflare than than anything else. Uh, it's really much an edge computing kind of a platform. Wow, totally epic. Totally epic. How'd you guys come up with the name Pocket? I'm pretty curious. Yeah, we, um, so Pocket is a decentralized API, uh, basically, right? And the thing about APIs is that um, you don't have to run the full node to access the data. And for us, it, you know, we've, I've always felt that for crypto to really get to billions of, of daily users, uh, we're going to have to be able to access these things from our phone. And uh, at the time, and I, feel, I still think this is the case, um, you're not going to be running full nodes. <laughs> from your phone, uh, at least not yet. Uh, light clients, maybe somewhat, uh, you know, light clients have been a few years out for many years so far, but but I think we'll get there eventually with light clients. But even then, you still need to be able to access information at scale. And uh, really what Pocket does is allow you to access the blockchain from your pocket, right? So. Ah, Love it. I got it. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. really clever. You know, you yeah. mentioned that, you know, Pocket Network as a Web2 example is like Cloudflare. And I think that's going to be an enormous part of web three, what are some other parts of web three infrastructure that we should be aware of that either exists uh, in development today, or maybe a missing piece entirely that hasn't even begun yet? Yeah, I think DNS is a huge problem. So ENS, Handshake are extremely exciting for me. I think there's things like identity. I think Ceramic is doing some really interesting things. And there's some more esoteric things like kind of developer tooling. Uh, it's quite immature in our space. Projects like Polyrap, I think, are doing some really exciting things. We're, we're actually hosting, uh, I just kind of, you know, there's other indexing protocols like Kive, there's payments like Biconomy and, and some other th and some other things, right? Uh, we're actually hosting a, a middleware conference at, at DevCon in, in Bogota. And uh, we're basically inviting all these other middleware protocols to come in and speak and show developers, hey, this is the stack. That you should be building on and these are the reasons why and this is Love why it's that. better that so um we're super excited about that that sounds huge that is going to be a, a fantastic event do you have dates for us uh, yet or you know my my marketing team is going to kill me um we don't have <laughs> any dates yet i don't know when this is coming out uh, but i'm hoping we start some communications this week on it but uh, we're aiming right between eth bogota and and devcon time frame oh beautiful there's going to be a huge yeah. overlap there well well michael yeah. awesome this has been fantastic bringing you on, learning about all the updates with Pocket and V1. Uh, before we let you go, just a couple kind of like softball questions we'd like to ask everybody that comes on the show, just to get a little sense of, uh, you know, what makes you tick and, and stuff like that. But 
you know, I'm curious, just like out of everybody that you've interacted with uh, in the crypto space, can you kind of, uh, you know, name one guy, one gal who's had like a pretty large impact on you, whether that's in terms of uh, what you've decided to build or how you think about the space? I give a shout out uh, to James Waugh. James Waugh. That's a name we haven't heard yet on the show. So, yeah, I met I met James uh, at DevCon in Cancun in 2017. Um, and there's a handful of folks that I met during that conference that are still passionately building in the space. And um, he's one of them. He's become a close friend. And for me, it's just uh, one of these things where you're like, hey, dude, how's it going? And you're kind of seeing how everyone is uh, uh, kind of going down their own path. Uh, uh, James is doing... Um, I believe it's FireEyes now. Um, so they work deeply in the DAO space and help with proposals and launching tokens and this sort of thing. Love that. Yeah. Now, if, if this was kind of the, the first podcast that somebody was listening to about crypto, first off, their mind is probably melted. Uh, they learned a lot of new acronyms, a lot of new terminology. But if we were to kind of just give, give those sort of people just one word of wisdom, just a piece of advice from a, a builder and a, a veteran in the space, what would that be? Yeah, take 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever you're comfortable with and just use this shit <laughs> is really, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, just try it and and understand, you know, whether it's DeFi or NFTs, you know, it's it's going to be cheaper than any education you get and you'll learn way more uh, than you would than you would otherwise. Roll up your sleeves and get involved. There's no substitution for that, right, Pete? Absolutely. And keep your education cheap. You know, there is a cost for education, but... Yeah, don't send an entire transaction all at once. Do a little test transaction. Try some of the cheaper chains first, like Polygon, Pocket Network, uh, Tezos are all really inexpensive places to start. Made, I've made expensive mistakes in the past, so uh, that was <laughs> sage, sage advice. Yes, I actually second that. Always send a test transaction. If it's a new wallet, if it's a new exchange, I never take anything for granted. Um, Back up your wallets too. Yes. Back up your wallets. <laughs> Back up your wallets, no matter how comfortable you, you you might feel. Back up your wallets. Yes, write those seed words down. Put them on paper. Never take a picture of it. Never put it in your Evernote or your online. Just write it down. Put it in your safe deposit box. Okay. So love it, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we hope to hear from you again as uh, Pocket V1 rolls out successfully. And we, uh, we, we just can't thank you enough for all your time. Likewise. This is a pleasure. Really enjoy speaking with you guys. Good stuff. All right, everybody at home listening, hope you enjoyed. Stick around. We got more guests coming around later this week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.